0: To The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Sunday, January 10th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well. They're staying safe as the winter months of the coronavirus pandemic are upon us. Coming up today on the podcast is a really fun conversation I recorded last Wednesday with uh, Coach Sass. We broke down the College Football National Championship game between Alabama and Ohio State. Really got in the weeds, broke it all down. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the fun ended <laughs> very, 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 very quickly. Once we were done recording the episode, as we both saw the news of the terrorist attack on the United States Capitol down in down in D.C. Uh, Wednesday was was probably the darkest day of one of the darkest periods in American history, um, and. I've held this podcast for a few days mainly just because uh, I didn't think that it was right to one release a podcast about college football when much, much, much more important things and bigger things were going on, uh, and two, I just didn't really know what to what to say about it because uh, it's incredibly upsetting, not just that it happened, but that uh, but everything that as we just keep learning more and more and more about the attack that uh, that the fact that the capitol police wasn't ready even though on different social media sites people were organizing it it was a thing you see some of the t-shirts people were wearing of it was planned out Um, so there needs to be a 9-11 style commission report investigation on why the capitol police was not ready for something like this to happen because if you didn't think something like what happened on wednesday could have happened as donald trump with our president and all the hate and the all the hate that he spews out and the lies you haven't really been paying attention so we need to figure out why the Capitol police wasn't ready um we also need to hold and hold accountable all of the, all of our so-called, you know, all of our elected officials, all the people who so-called have the best interests of the country in mind, that they take an oath to defend the Constitution, all of the Republican congressmen and women and senators who still voted to object certain states' electoral college results even after the terrorist attack, in which the mob had IED bombs, zip ties, weapons, plans to attack and kill elected officials, including Vice President Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi, um, all those people need to be held accountable. They need to, if they're not going to resign, they need to be completely. Shut off financially from all their donors. They need to be held accountable at the voting booth if they are up for election anytime soon. They need to be constantly reminded of their sedition and insurrection that they caused to the United States. That they do not. That they do not uphold and did not uphold the Constitution. And that um, if any of them had any character, they would they would resign immediately for. The role that they played in instigating this this attack and uh it goes all the way up right to the president of the united states donald trump he needs to be impeached as soon as possible he needs to be convicted in the senate and he needs to be removed from office and face prosecution for his acts of, of really treason against the united states for inspiring this mob of domestic terrorists to try to overthrow the democratic constitution process that that we have. Um, it was a really really dark day, and it's been a really dark few days here in America. Um, even in all the darkness, there are there's there's one hero who I just want to mention and shout out on the podcast. This uh, Capitol Police officer named. Eugene Goodman, he went viral on Wednesday as he was backing away and getting chased by a mob of uh, white rioters. Uh, Officer Goodman is, is a black man and chased up the stairs through the halls of the Capitol. And what we learned today was that he was protecting the open door to the U.S. Senate. He prevented the rioters from getting into the chamber while there were still senators in there. He defended our democracy from these tyrants and these terrorists. And I don't know what type of awards we can give him, but we just need to remember that even in all of this darkness, there are, there are true heroes out there. There are true Americans, real patriots like Officer Goodman, and we need to commend him and... Remember that uh, just how close we came to having, in the darkest day of this presidency, the dark, really dark period, from being even even darker. And um, for all the Republicans who are calling for unity at this moment and that impeachment isn't the right thing or resignations, on September 11th, 2001, one of the targets of Al Qaeda was the United States Capitol. They didn't succeed because of true patriots on United Flight 93 who overtook the terrorists and crashed the plane and they all died uh, protecting the Capitol. Um, We're still fighting terrorists 20 years later. It's still never forget three days after a successful attack on the United States Capitol. Republicans are calling for unity and not all Republicans, but the majority of Republicans currently in office are calling for unity. They're calling for forgiveness that, hey, if we impeach Trump again, we don't know what he'll do. That's the point. He already inspired a mob of domestic terrorists to attack the United States Capitol to try to commit a coup to overturn the election. Twitter and Facebook say that he's too dangerous to use their platforms. If you can't tweet you cannot have the nuclear codes. It should be that simple. And so appeasement has never worked in history. And if we appease Donald Trump, we don't know what's going to happen. And it could very, very likely have another event just like the one on Wednesday day and be much, much, much worse. So, um i don't know if people are interested in college football this week it's hard it's been hard for me to get super into it but you know if you want to just escape for a couple hours and listen to me and coach sass talk about college football great uh but if not you know i totally totally understand and uh and we'll all get we'll get through this we'll we'll all uh we'll all band together and uh the part the thing that i keep remembering is there's a lot more people like officer goodman and there's a lot more people who believe in this country and and believe in justice and, and goodness than than those who stormed the Capitol. so uh i'm going to hit the music and come back as my conversation with max ass from last wednesday now joining me all coming off one of their program's biggest wins in recent memory is my good friend max Sass. coach what's going on
1: not much floating on cloud nine or at least i was on uh the night of january 1st uh but happy to be in 2021
0: exactly 2020 was a long year for everybody A lot of ups, a lot of downs, and 2021 started off on the right foot. If you are a fan of the Alabama Crimson Tide or the Ohio State Buckeyes, just jumping right into it, what we're going to do today is we're going to preview the national championship game, which as of our recording on Wednesday, January 6th, is still scheduled for the 11th, so upcoming Monday at 8 or 8.30 on ESPN. You know, it's a classic. They say it starts at 8, then it actually kicks off at 8.52, you know, just something crazy like that. They have announced that if the game needs to be postponed for COVID issues, either at Ohio State or at Alabama, that the game would be made up the following Monday on January 18th. Uh, we can get, in, get into all that, but it is Alabama versus Ohio State, and Let's just jump right into recapping the semifinal games. Let's start off with your team. Ohio State played Clemson in New Orleans and it was Buckeye domination.
1: It was. It was impressive. Uh it was nervy at first, right if you uh, if you had polled Ohio State fans or you know, Ohio State Twitter, which I was certainly following very closely after Clemson just sort of marched on down the field for an easy 7 uh, nothing lead. Um, I think there was a lot of not great feelings in uh, Buckeye Nation, but it ended up being um, a, a game that took Ohio State uh, some time to settle into and settle in they did quite comfortably, I'd say.
0: And it wasn't just that they settled in comfortably and got into like the flow of the game the way that we sometimes think about uh, in big games, teams come out a little too juiced and that they have to settle in. Their settling in in this one uh, was domination. It was touchdown after touchdown, big play after big play. And we talked last week at length about how Ohio State needed to convert offensive possessions and red zone or... Red zone opportunities and other possessions where where they're on the Clemson side of the field into six points, into into touchdowns, and they did that so well. The throughout the entire game, you know, they scored forty nine points. They they won the game forty nine to twenty eight, and their ability to to capitalize just it really changed how Clemson wanted to play. And that was very obvious.
1: Yeah, I I think that I know, you know, Justin Fields, and we'll talk about Justin Fields, but, you know, they did a lot of things that, you know, highlight plays, big plays, things like that, but so much of it was just a result of, frankly, dominating the line of scrimmage. Even when they weren't, um, you know, getting those huge chunk yardage plays that eventually they did get with guys like Trey Sermon. It just felt like they were dominating the line of scrimmage the entire time. Um, it felt like Fields was way more comfortable than Trevor Lawrence, and I think that's a, a, a good measure
0: in yeah. a lot of ways. And let, let's talk about Trey Sermon for, for a second, because he was the star of the Big Ten Championship against Northwestern, where we talked about it, and I think everyone watching it was, Ohio State knew that they had a big talent advantage across the whole field, but the Northwestern defense was playing really, really well, especially in the passing game and guarding the pass, and Fields wasn't right, clearly. And Trey Sermon, every time he touched the ball, it was like 7, 8, 12-yard <laughs> gains. And it felt like, guys, just keep running the ball. They can't stop you. And But they clearly were trying to get Justin Fields into some type of a rhythm. And because field started so well in this game against Clemson, they could gash Trey Sermon against this Clemson Tiger defense whenever they want. I mean, he had over 30 carries well over 150 yards and it was the same thing where he's such a big physical runner that it's overwhelming when you give him 30 carries a game, right? Yeah. And,
1: and he finished with, with 193 yards. Um, which on those 31 carries is good for 6.2 yards per carry. And I think the biggest difference watching Trey Sermon um, at the beginning of the season versus watching Trey Sermon now is just, I think, his physicality and decisiveness. I think that he's so quick, and he's definitely a home run hitter, right? He had a 65-yard run against Northwestern. He had that long 64-yarder against Michigan State. And though he only had a long of 32 against Clemson, the difference from the beginning of the season where it felt like he was tiptoeing and coming down on first contact versus now later on the season where it just feels like he's you know that first arm tackle is not affecting him anymore and he's getting up to top speed quicker through those hits and uh, those are the things that we sort of expected from the the bowling ball type running back like a master teague who obviously Ohio State's missed now for two straight games, potentially a third with, I believe, a concussion. Um, But Trey Sermon has sort of figured out how to combine that home run ability with also the physicality and tackle breaking ability um, that we weren't seeing at the beginning of the year.
0: It was offensive domination and want to shout out the tight ends as well for Ohio State. They, They are not a focal point of the offense, right? It's not an area that i'm sure the other team's defense spends a ton of time on it's not an area where clearly the broadcasting trio that espn had spent a lot of time prepping right because they seem genuinely shocked that the ohio state tight ends were big parts of the passing game and just one play sticks out in particular i believe is the second quarter they run this play action where Field is running all the way to the left and the tight end just sneaks out all the way to the right side of the field and they kind of throw it back to him and it was an easy pitch-and-catch touchdown. And it's just a reminder that Ohio State and Clemson, but, but especially Ohio State, that even their quote-unquote weaker parts of the offense are still awesome football players. And when you have a guy like Ryan Day calling – calling the plays and getting these awesome big athletes in space, really good things happen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the second quarter which you mentioned was actually when everything changed, right? If you if you look at it, if you the first quarter, third quarter and fourth quarter were actually all tied, at 28-28, and the yeah. difference in the game was the 21 nothing second quarter which Um, included a pair of touchdown passes to Jeremy Ruckert, a star tight end, and Chris Olave, their best Mm -hmm. receiver, who who we talked about last week, was was one of the big differences, not having him in that that Northwestern game. So um, the different comfort levels um, for Justin Fields were were inspiring. Um, I think that I I will say, and and I think I said this to you off-air, Dave, Um, I got a little nervous starting the third quarter Mm -hmm. when Clemson scored that touchdown. Uh, Ohio state got stopped. Clemson scored a touchdown. It was 35, 21. And it just felt like if Ohio state didn't answer there, Clemson was strong enough and potentially with halftime adjustments could have come back and won that game. Yeah. Um, the Ohio state answered, which was great. Olave caught that 56
0: yard pass over the top from fields. And,
1: uh, it was all Buckeyes at that point. But, um, it was a dominant game, but I don't want to say the game was over at halftime because it certainly didn't feel that way to me.
0: No, it definitely wasn't over, especially when you have a quarterback as good as Trevor Lawrence. Weapons like Travis Etienne, Cornelis Powell, uh, just guys on the outside who, who can make a lot of plays. That You're right, it, it wasn't over, but the biggest thing that stuck out to me was how Clemson... Hurt themselves with their lack of aggression on fourth down in the second quarter. So this counts for the second yeah. quarter, but but but. Yeah, let, let's let's talk it through. So the game is tied fourteen to fourteen. Clemson has the ball. They're on their own forty-three yard line. It's fourth and two. They go in. So so this counts as the second quarter, but the they have possession as as the first quarter ended and the second quarter began and Clemson decides to punt tied 14 to 14 fourth and 2 on their own 43. Clemson punts, Ohio State scores the next possession. In my mind, yes, you're you're trying to play the field position battle in in that moment, but you have Trevor Lawrence and you have Travis Etienne and you're saying we can't get 2 yards. That that would have been a spot where I would go for obviously hindsight 2020, but I'm I want to trust my guys and my first-round picks and All-American players to to make a play. Later on in the second quarter, fourth and three on their own 43-yard line again. This time, Clemson is down 28-14. to 14. Ohio State has added two more scores with 320 to go in, in the second quarter. Clemson decides to punt again. So this time, they only needed three yards with Lawrence, Etienne, Galloway there their tight end powell on on the outside amari rogers all these guys and they didn't think that they could get three yards well i think the weird thing about that drive specifically also to mention Mm -hmm.
1: it is that that was a a drive that they had actually
0: picked up a couple first downs yeah um but then they started going backwards Mm -hmm. it was uh
1: they threw a backwards pass minus three third and 13 false start third and 18 so i think part of it is that and look i'm not Dabo sweeney i haven't won multiple national championships i'm certainly not second guessing him here but part of me wonders if he looked at third and 18 on their own 28 and said all right punt team ready and then didn't readjust when they ended up picking up 15 yards to get to their own 43 does that make sense
0: it it makes a ton of sense, uh, but, but I think it's just the way the momentum was going. For sure, I, for sure. I, I think so. I think that's part of
1: it. I also think the other factor in it is that Travis Etienne, as we established, you know, when we were talking about this game, did not run the ball well against Ohio State last year. No. Trevor Lawrence did. Trevor Lawrence, though, if you include the sacks, finished with I think like negative 11 rushing yards in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I-, I wonder if they were just a little hesitant to run the ball with uh, against the Ohio State defense. I, I mean, Travis Etienne finished with 10 carries for 32 yards. They have 3.2 yeah. yards to carry, and I get it. Like that, if you stick to the average, that technically picks up the fourth and three, but. Going back to my point about moving the line of scrimmage, maybe they didn't feel like they could pick it up on the ground, and they thought the passing game was too risky. Now, not to just debate myself and go back and forth with myself,
0: uh-huh. but you know, I would also argue that the way Ohio State's cornerbacks were playing really soft coverage, particularly Sean Wade, most yeah. of the time, you could have picked it up with a relatively easy pass. So it felt uh, like it, it. It felt like on these two a run pass option with ETN going up the middle with a guy slanting or a pick play on the outside that is you're daring the refs to call offensive pass interference those we have seen at all levels of college football are highly effective plays and especially Absolutely. with especially with a guy like Lawrence as you're saying the game plan was soft coverage to prevent deep balls cuz on the first drive of the game by Clemson where they drove down the field and scored a touchdown Lawrence threw a beautiful deep ball one-on-one coverage on the left sideline and it was just like holy crap this dude is insanely good <laughs> there was a little bit of a push up not enough for to sure flag. I agree with that but but it was a perfect ball and a big physical receiver went up and got it against a good cornerback absolutely so so I was just surprised that that it was that like that that lack of trust in just the play calling and, and i think this is where we should mention clemson's offensive coordinator was not at this game he tested positive for covid 19 during the during the week of prep he was at home we are rooting for him and hoping that that he gets better but his absence i think was really felt here uh just because it's it's that unknown of Someone new calling the plays, you know, it was more of a team effort. As you said, Dabo maybe is more focused on, hey, let's get the punt team ready. And he wasn't able to adjust in time. Hey, fourth and three, let's run up RPO play action and quick slant. And let's go pick up this, this first down because Ohio State gets the ball back and they score. And they're up 35-14 going into halftime.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it, I think in a lot of ways um, it was and could have been a backbreaker for Ohio's, uh, for Clemson, excuse me,
0: especially considering that um, Ohio State was getting the ball back to start the third quarter. 100%.
1: And I think that could have put the game away. I know it, it didn't because they didn't capitalize there. They threw an interception. um you know, an interception in the end zone, by the way.
0: yeah, um, That was the that was the worst throw Fields had all night and worst throw in a while where it looked like he may have gotten hit. He didn't get all of it, but that was double go- coverage that turned into triple coverage. That was just a bad I read. I think
1: he was trying to throw it into the seventh row. I haven't heard <laughs> the quote, but, like, but that's my assumption.
0: Right? Yeah. like My assumption was he was trying to just throw that away into the seventh row and the ball got tipped and he just didn't get the mustard on it that he needed to. It's just, yeah, it, it, it was certainly
1: disappointing because it felt, um, in a lot of ways, that if Clemson was going to come back, that was sort of the turning point. Especially because they then marched 80 yards in under four minutes um, to score
0: exactly, <laughs> and, and
1: cut it to two scores. So, um, it, you know, it, it. And don't forget, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that ensuing kickoff was then. Ohio State's only up 14, and that was when DeMario McCall made the the poor decision to not catch the ball that landed on the one-yard line and then bounced up and had to recover essentially a loose kickoff on the nine-yard line. So yes. now they were staring down the barrel of their own end zone too. Like, it, it just didn't – I felt a little nervous. I'll admit it.
0: And there were moments in the second half where, as as you were saying, where there were chances for – Clemson to start creeping back they weren't able to capitalize part of it was it was in the third quarter when Lawrence fumbled right on yeah, that, what a bizarre that, that, Yes, yeah, so Ohio State
1: scores the, on that 91 yard drive to push it back to a three score game 42-21 mm. then Clemson gets the ball back and Lawrence that, it was a very bizarre play he like placed his hand on top of the football after he had fumbled it assuming that was enough to possess it and it wasn't like it, it, it was very weird
0: it it was the first 21-year-old mistake that we've seen Trevor Lawrence make pretty much his entire college career one of the very very few where he he had one of those brain fart moments where he didn't jump on it and and cover it up maybe he didn't think he had fumbled it maybe he thought that he was already down I'm not Trevor Lawrence. I don't know, but you're you're right that, that when you're watching the play unfold, especially once they really slow it down on replay, you're like, this is weird. Especially because it's a guy like Trevor Lawrence who seemingly makes the right play so, so often, right? He's always making the right play, the right read. That was the first time I was like, w- this is weird.
1: But Absolutely. I'm in a complete agreement with you. And maybe it was more of a momentum thing than anything. Mm -hmm. But Ohio State didn't seize on it. Because they gave the ball right back. Yeah, Sacked by Brian Brzee. Forces Ohio State to punt. And again, Clemson could have cut it to two touchdowns. You you know, midway through. uh, I guess that would have been. uh, I'm spacing that. I guess would have been. uh, The end of the third quarter there. And. They didn't.
0: They ended up punting it back. They ended up gaining four yards. <laughs> that's the that's that's the last and that drive the, that I, that was the
1: drive with
0: the false start. Yes, that was fourth and one. They're on their own twenty-two. The same thing as as the end of the first quarter, where they have the ball at the end of the end of the third quarter, going to the start of the fourth quarter, fourth and one. This is the classic. Tom Brady sneak play where you take your six foot five plus quarterback, <laughs> have him fall forward over the left guard and gain a yard, right? And this well, was the
1: crazy part. The crazy part, don't forget, is they had just tried to give it to ETN who, who got on stuffed third and one, who did not get it. Yeah, so that's why they were in that fourth and one situation because Ohio mm-hmm. State stood tall there.
0: Yes, and I don't know if the pre-snap. Uh, Reed was wrong if Lawrence was trying to go hard count to try to draw the guy off sides, but it ended up leading to a false start on the offense, pushing them back five yards and at fourth and six inside your own twenty, even down twenty one points. It's really hard to to go for it there, right? So that was that was the first time really where it was a self inflicted wound in terms of uh in terms of a penalty on one of these big plays and give Ohio State credit they re- they take the punt and on that possession they come down score a touchdown officially ending the game at 49-21. And thank God they did because
1: the rest of the game was super ugly. Clemson yes.
0: touchdown, Ohio State punts,
1: Clemson go Clemson uh turns it over on downs. Ohio State punts again, Clemson interception. Thank God I was enjoying the revelry and merriment of, <laughs> of, of feeling, you know, sending gifts of, of, Hey, that's
0: the knockout punch to, to you and other friends. Yeah. I
1: didn't, I didn't see how ugly it had gotten.
0: <laughs> so which, which brings us to a couple questions I had for you about, okay. about Clemson. So they are one of the best programs. The last they are they are at a talent advantage over almost everyone in the ACC. But three of the last four games that they've played against teams that I'm calling, you know, at their level, right, mm-hmm. in terms of talent, their defense has given up 40-plus points. LSU was in the national championship game last year, the first game against Notre Dame, Ohio State this year. Were we giving them too much credit for this for their vaunted defensive reputation against other elite programs because when they were winning championships they had four starting defensive linemen, starting corners in you know nfl starting corners sure were, were we just too high on clemson defensively this year
1: maybe moderately but but generally i, I would say no i think that if you look at I think you've got to dive a little deeper, mm-hmm. and, and this isn't even that deep of a dive, but look at the teams they gave up those points to, yeah. right? LSU, okay, best quarterback season in the history of college football in, in in, you know, Joe Burrow has that year. They're flying high, and oh, by the way, he has three NFL receivers, including you know, guys were going to be first round picks. Yeah. So like that
0: offense had five first round picks. They had Burrow, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase and and Terrence Marshall are going to be first round picks this year.
1: Yeah. And so I I think that that's, you know, I'm okay saying like anyone's given up 40 points to those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, This year's OSU team. I've been saying it, Dave. I've been saying it all year. Like, this is their most talented team at Ohio State since 2015. I mean, this team is just absolutely loaded talent-wise. Um, and then Notre Dame, I, I think that one's a little bit fluky. You're on the road. You're at Notre Dame. You're without your talismanic quarterback. Um, I know that doesn't affect the defense, but but it took them a minute. And also, that game went to double overtime, don't forget. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you, you know, I, I think it's just unfair to, to – completely not mention that there were also two drives that Notre Dame got to start from the 25 yard line. For sure. Uh,
0: I just think that
1: the Notre Dame game away is the one that bothers me the most. Mm -hmm. I think if you're not giving up 40 points to that LSU team and this Ohio state team, um, something crazy amazing happened. Yeah. And I also think that as they talked about before the game, they talked about during the game a lot. Kirk Herb Street actually, I thought, did a very good job even not being there in person. Um, they talked a lot about how Ohio State's offense huddled more, mm-hmm. how they were changing paces, and ultimately the talk about Brent Venable's sign-stealing and you know last-second adjustments, Ohio State rendered it moot in a lot of ways um, because of their game planning. And I think it was because they had so much time to plan for that. I think it's because they have – one of the three or four best coaches in all of college football and Ryan Day. Um, I think they have excellent coordinators and offensive assistants, including Kevin Wilson, who, you know, coordinated some amazing Oklahoma offenses back in the day. Ohio State was as prepared and as talented as you can get. That combination will happen almost never.
0: That's very true. Everything you said was, was very true. I just... I feel like,
1: and Dave, sorry, because yeah. Before you make your counterpoint, the last point I the not the other the last point I want to make about that is just that I talk about great coaches. Like that LSU team had five what we expect to be first round picks on it, and was coordinated by a once in a generation coordinator and Joe Brady. Right, like mm-hmm. that's the other
0: thing. Yeah. So I,
1: I know what your point is going to be, but I just wanted to say like that's sort of the equivalent of what Ryan Day was doing with Ohio State this year.
0: Why? My point is that we are we are very quick to praise all these teams for all their success, right? We're you know, we're on a love fest about Ohio State, but throughout but but throughout the season, we have said many times about how this secondary is is weak compared to Ohio State teams of the past and, and, and weaknesses. I think that it's that it's always good to to look back at ourselves and how we're talking about these these teams. And saying, "Hey, did did I put too much stake and stock in this Clemson defensive line? Thinking, oh, they always have good defensive line without really looking at it. Saying, hey, these guys are super talented, but really young. And yeah, they they played pretty well all season, but they're not first round picks yet, you know. And I think that the thing that I'm looking back on that." that I wish I made more of a emphasis on on the podcast, what, what previous, that, that I didn't put enough value on was how important James Skalski is to this entire Clemson defense because he's not a first-round pick. He's, he's not a guy who gets talked about a lot in the NFL circles, but the last three games Clemson has lost, he didn't play the full 60 minutes. He got targeting against LSU in the National Championship game last year. He missed... The Notre Dame, the first no, the first game at Notre Dame, due to an injury, and he was uh, penalized for targeting again against Ohio State, and he misses those those three games, and the defense isn't the same, and and I think that that's something that hey, we didn't put enough stock into, or or at least me in saying this guy is the most important uh, cog to this whole Clemson defense.
1: Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, don't forget also Xavier Thomas, who was, I believe, like a top three or four player in the country a couple years ago, didn't travel to this game because I think he broke some protocol. But I I think that's part of it. I think obviously Nolan Turner, who's a leader and a starter for them in the defensive backfield, also missed the first half Mm -hmm. after a targeting penalty um, in their previous game against Notre Dame. (sighs) I just struggle to say. I mean, they're 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 the number four team in the country in the team talent composite rating on twenty four seven sports. Yeah. Dave.
0: Mm-hmm. Really talented, uh, really good.
1: But who are they behind? They're behind Ohio State, right? Like, and it's not just as simple as that because part of how Clemson has won in the past is by developing under-the-radar guys in the past. You know, maybe your Skalskis, Mm -hmm. those type of guys. But I I don't think it's that simple. I think it's more – I just think they got outplayed and Mm -hmm. and potentially outcoached. And um, I I think it's less about their defense having massive holes and more about Ohio State expose them in a way that Clemson probably – won't wouldn't get exposed like again
0: I, I i agree i
1: think it's i think the trend is more coincidental than anything that's yeah. that's what my argument would be
0: i'm just i'm just asking the questions and
1: it, and excellent questions at that
0: the the next thing about where, where clemson goes from here is They are changing quarterbacks again. Trevor Lawrence announced earlier today, as expected, he will go to the NFL. He will put his name into the draft, or he will all, you know, barring some major, major injury from him in the pre-draft process, will be selected first overall by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Clemson has had incredible quarterback, I want to say, luck and development. Luck that their really good quarterback stayed healthy, and that they were healthy for the biggest games they have played the last 6 years? Uh, well. Well, except for yeah, Lawrence getting true. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but but like not like major injuries where they had to do even though Cardell Jones won the national championship for Ohio State. Let's oh, just say Talk about that later. We will, but but let's just say that you would have been a little more confident going into that game if uh, Jt Barrett was playing, or your starter, right? So I probably would have been even more con- confident had Braxton Miller exactly be a starter. <laughs> exactly. So, so they had. They, so they went from Deshaun Watson, who's one of the five best quarterbacks in the whole NFL, five or six best quarterbacks, Kelly Bryant, who got him back to the playoff, who was a very good, high major Division one quarterback, to the prodigy in Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback of his generation, maybe since Peyton Manning. They have another five-star quarterback in DJ Uagalalele. I think I got that right. Close enough. And well, if his mother's
1: listening, not close
0: enough. <laughs> well, <laughs> this program is really, really talented, and as we've seen from Notre Dame, you can have a really talented team, but to keep up this level of national dominance, they need to continue this quarterback luck and. And development and it's to be seen. DJ played great against Notre Dame, put up big stats, I think, against uh Boston College. But it's you know, it's it's on him now, and and we'll see where Clemson goes as as they turn over another quarterback. And I think the other thing that
1: either potentially helps or hurts the next quarterback is that Justin Ross was probably expected to be their best wide receiver this year, and. At- he missed the what would have been his entire junior year this yeah. year with uh, a spinal cord fusion injury or or, or surgery. You know something
0: something serious that,
1: that we would never wish upon anyone. And and I think that hurt them. Now guys like Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers proved to be excellent uh, options. Frank Ladson, Joseph Gatta, uh, and again, forgive the pronunciation um, are obviously very good, but. The way DJ Uyunglele, his tenure starts next year, I think a lot depends if
0: Justin Ross goes to the pros or if he's back at Clemson, because mm. otherwise he's going to be thrown to,
1: you know, uh, you know, Dabo Swinney's son, Drew, who's a 5'8 <laughs> walk-on. Like, right. I'm exaggerating. Obviously, they have more talent than that. aju, aju um, you know, like I mentioned, Ladson Gata, Brandon Spector. Um, E.J. Williams is a very highly touted young receiver. But in terms of established guys, Powell and Rogers are going, you know, they're both seniors.
0: Yeah, they're both likely NFL players or at least play their way onto a late round fourth to seventh round pick with their performance all season. The last thing that that I want to talk about about this game before we move on to Alabama versus Notre Dame is the targeting call on James Galski. This was okay. not the traditional type of targeting call that that we see where it was a helmet to helmet type hit but this was a clear and obvious targeting penalty he lowered the crown of his helmet even though he hit fields in the ribs hip area like and not the head the targeting call is designed to not just protect the guy with the ball getting hit but also the guy who was doing the hitting a lot right. of people on on Twitter and in college football circles pointed out that with the side by side photo comparison, that the way Skalski went into the hit was very similar to how Ryan Shazier, the great linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, went into a hit a few years ago that uh, basically ended his football career.
1: Very scary. I mean, great NFL linebacker, maybe even better
0: at Ohio state. Yeah. And almost ended his, his, and, and it ended his professional career. And, almost led to much, much more serious long-term damage. The targeting call gets gets a lot of, I'll say, complaints on Twitter during, during big games because you don't want to see these guys get ejected. But you're not going to make football safe. It is a collision, violent sport. But the targeting rule, I think, has worked and that there are fewer targetings now than there were a few years ago when they first put this in
1: that is true but that doesn't mean the rule doesn't need to be modified
0: explain because it's <laughs> because my understanding of how it is now is there's the guy up in the booth they're watching the game if they see something they buzz down they throw the flag they look at it closer and if it's leading with the crown of the helmet or helmet to helmet hit it's it's an, an ejection sometimes it feels harsh but If that's the rule, that's the rule, you know?
1: Sure, but if it's harsh, why can't we change the rule? Because I I think, and for a lot of Ohio State fans, it was very much poetry in motion after what was a very questionable ejection of Sean Wade last year. And I think that's why I have some sympathy. Obviously, Skowski is a senior. Uh, Obviously, with the eligibility rules with COVID and stuff, he could come back next year. But, you know who knows what's going to happen. But in in theory, this very well could have ended his career. Um, You know, I understand there is a price to pay. It was targeting. Uh, I completely agree with that. James Kowski either needs to have better discipline or be taught better to pick his head up when he tackles. But Fields spun into his helmet. You you know what I mean? Just like Sean Wade blitzed Trevor Lawrence last year, and Trevor Lawrence ducked into Sean Wade's helmet. I think there's a certain degree of it, and the best thing I saw on Twitter was people sort of suggesting this idea of like, hey, the NBA has flagrant one and flagrant two designations. Why can't we have that with targeting um, where there's you know flagrant one and flagrant two where flagrant one does not require an objection? And I think that's a very valid question. Um, look, I am not pretending that I can solve all of college football's problems. You know, my point being, I think there's at least something that can be looked at as to whether there can be degrees of targeting. Now, again, having said that, the counterpoint is they used to have that with the face mask rule in the NFL, right? And then they said, well, we don't want the refs to have to determine that. But if you're automatically reviewing targeting anyway, why can't you discern between two levels? Um, You know, I I think in a lot of ways, you could have looked at this one and said, yeah he he led with the crown of his helmet he's got to pick his head up but he didn't launch you, you, you know i i think that maybe it was a 15 yard penalty but not an ejection i i don't know dave i don't i, I don't have a great answer to this but i think it's there's really a optical system out there that solves it
0: it's it's really really tough because the penalty is is really harsh it's an ejection from the game and suspension for the first half of the next game but as we've Seen like it works and that there are fewer targeting calls, it sometimes feels like it, it can affect the outcome of games. And as you're saying, sometimes it Lawrence ducks and it's turns into helmet to helmet, or Field spins and is a helmet. But Skalski was going crown first, whether Field spun into him or not. And
1: no, I think he would have hit him, and maybe it's impossible to know,
0: yeah. Think I would give him the benefit of the doubt and say he would have hit him with his shoulder. He
1: would have led with his shoulder there, um, if he hadn't spun. It's just
0: the game happens.
1: The the game happens too quickly. You're right.
0: Yeah, and so and also like the flagrant one, flagrant two thing, that is a rule in in the NBA. But all that leads is to more replay reviews. The The you know Ohio State versus Clemson was four hours anyway, like if anything we need to speed this up we can't have college football games going 4 hours like this isn't the oscars you know where they're doing 75 categories it's I, I it's a sporting that. game so anyway it was it's a part of the game that people i think that analysts need to talk about more when they're previewing games which is look the the way that we've kind of dealt with covid this year which is we can you know, we don't know exactly who's going to be active on the roster until the ball kicks off or a game happens. Like, a big part of who wins these big games is people who don't get targeting calls. That's just the way that it is.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, you're right. It just feels overly
0: impactful sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. But, you know, if if that's what's going to make football quote-unquote safer, because it will never be safe, but safer, then... That's just something they have to do. So flipping over to the other national semifinal Alabama versus Notre Dame. This was a, this was the less interesting of, of the two still (laughs) lasted three hours and 40 minutes. Somehow, you know, people say baseball is long. Like try watching a college football game. It is very, it is a long game. (laughs) Um, yeah, but at least you don't have to watch the Mets bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, Alabama won. They won, what was it, 31 to 17? Yeah, yeah. And so, possible. and so Notre Dame covered, right? They, they cover the spread. That's not the same thing as, as winning the game. But this launched the whole thing about the Notre Dame narrative. 31-14, 31-14. Yeah, about they lost another major bowl game. Notre Dame is not the same level at these guys. Why do we keep having them play? They're independent. Blah, 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 blah. The same Notre Dame narrative continued. And I I kind of want your thoughts on where Notre Dame is in terms of the national picture. Uh, In... In college football, but before I give my kind of mini mini rant about it.
1: um, I think Notre Dame is in tier B. Okay? And and I think that we talked a lot about the talent differential going into this game. And Notre Dame is the eighth most talented team in the country, according to the 24-7 sports uh, team talent composite rating, which is nothing to sneeze at.
0: Yeah but they overachieved if if you take that as where teams should line up and finish. Uh,
1: Absolutely. And I think that ultimately the gap has actually gotten bigger in a lot of ways. Um, You look at playoffs without, there has not been a single playoff without two of the three of Alabama, Ohio state and Clemson in it. And, um, and I know I'm not answering your question about Notre Dame directly here uh, by referencing the fact that like Texas was the fifth most talented team in the country this year, and that's why Tom Herman got fired. And the gap is getting bigger because I think it's 49 out of the top 100 recruits in uh, the class of 2021 have committed to either Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, or LSU. 50% of the 100 most talented guys in the country. Right. So that shows that there's a clear gap. And for me, Brian Kelly has done as much with what he has as anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. He's now made two of the last three playoffs. He's won, I think, 10 games in at at least two. uh, I think the last three years, I'll have to double check that. Yep. But for them to reasonably expect to win a national championship, which I think is the goal, I assume is the expectation for sure, um, they have to jump into that group with LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. They just do, to be perfectly frank, because the gap is getting bigger, not smaller.
0: That is, that's, that's everything you said is true and it is very fair. There is a changing of the guard in the way that people do recruiting, which is the elite teams. Keep getting better and better and better, right? They, they aren't just yeah. LSU's not just dominating Louisiana, but they're dominating the whole top one hundred. Kirby Smart in Georgia has put them truly, not just on the map in the SEC, but in the national recruiting picture. And I think that while recruiting is incredibly important to all of these programs right recruiting is the lifeblood of 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 all these teams what is equally important is what they do for the guys once they get on campus right that sure. is Clemson, incre- Clemson in a lot of ways proved that
1: by winning two national championships without having a top five recruiting class in the previous four years now granted they won it with Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence, so mm-hmm. little asterisks right there. But, so, but yes, Clemson is proof of that.
0: L- you could say LSU as well. Joe Burrow was a graduate transfer from Ohio State who never really saw the field, who wasn't considered a pro prospect when he arrived at LSU. After his first year, maybe would have gone undrafted. He was in the five. He was in the fifth to seventh round range. And they just, he just kept getting better and better and better. They're wide receivers. They, all, they weren't getting—they all they were four-star recruits, but they do have some three- and four-star guys who have gotten so much better. Not everyone is Najee Harris the way that Alabama has where they were a top three player in the country and have stayed that way like Trevor Lawrence. It's so much as what they do when they're there and how they help get to the next level. I don't think Notre Dame is years away from— comp- really competing for a national championship. One is that they will be back. That's just the nature of it is that we've seen for this whole season is that college football is driven by the money. It's a television entertainment sport, first and foremost. And people care about Notre Dame. People watch Notre Dame play football. If it's a battle between Notre Dame and Texas A&M, again, for fourth or fifth, Notre Dame is going to win that every time because they know that they will get millions more people to watch Notre Dame than Texas A&M. That's why NBC pays Notre Dame $15 million a year for the rights to broadcast their games, and Texas A&M is a part of the SEC network. Valuable, but not just not getting exclusive NBC Sunday afternoon television rights. They don't need to be in a conference. They don't need to join the ACC. Their schedule is tough enough without being 100% in the ACC or really any other conference. As Ari Wasserman, one of your favorite guys at The Athletic who writes about recruiting and a lot about Ohio State, in an article you referenced a few weeks ago about what teams and what recruits really look for when they're going through the process is winning is good. Winning national championships is good. But a big, but a big part for all these guys is how are they going to help? How is the school I'm going to go to help me reach my goals and get me to the next level? Oh, uh, Ohio State helps guys put guys into the NFL. L- LSU, Georgia, Notre Dame has put plenty of guys into the NFL recently. They've helped get, put linemen into the NFL. It's true. Wide they receivers, will put more, including Tommy Kramer. Yeah. Uh, presumably, Liam
1: Eikenberg. Like they're probably going to. Robert Hainsey, like they're probably going to put more guys in the NFL this draft.
0: 100%. But I
1: just I think the skill position is where they're in trouble.
0: What well, it's th- that that's that was the the difference in the game. Oh, N- Notre Dame built up their program after getting humiliated by Alabama in the 2012 National Championship game. That was when they lost 42 to 14. Yep. They completely rebuilt their program and they competed at the line of scrimmage in this game. They were able to run the ball. The difference in this game is they didn't have four Heisman Trophy finalists on offense. That, I mean, like, if, if, if you want to talk about what the difference is, is that they don't have a first-round pick at quarterback. Mac Jones is going to be a first-round pick. Ian Book has won a lot of games, but he is not a first-round pick. He'll get a chance in, in the NFL, and he may be good. He may not be good. But he's not a first round pick, not a Heisman Trophy finalist. Kyron Williams is a sophomore, really good, but not Najee Harris, who will be a first, most likely a first or second round draft pick and a Heisman finalist yet. They don't have Devontae Smith, who is the Heisman Trophy winner and had over 100 catches, 1,600 yards, and 20 touchdowns. So breaking news to anyone who's only watched that game. No one could tackle him the entire season. LSU couldn't tackle him. Florida couldn't tackle him. This is not a Notre Dame problem that they are 10 years away from competing or that they have to completely revamp and reload the way that they did after 2012. They are really close to being at the level of Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, the general SEC – they have their own challenges in terms of recruiting, which is, one, they have more of an academic standard than some of these other schools. Two is, South Bend, Indiana, in the wintertime, is cold. It is and not it's hard to get to. And it's hard to get
1: to.
0: Yeah, but they also have their own advantage as well, which is the Notre Dame pedigree, and they're putting guys into the NFL. So as long as they keep saying, we're going to help you get to the NFL, we're going to get you into the NFL— that's what really, really matters. And if they just keep helping develop guys, they aren't that far away. It felt like they were far watching Devontae Smith run these screen passes and slants for touchdowns, but, it was like, he's doing that to everybody. He will likely do that to Ohio State. For
1: sure. And for so, sure. Probably to a slightly lesser degree, but absolutely.
0: And so this, this, like, funeral that we're having for Notre Dame is – It's just, it's just wrong. It's just, it's, it's wrong. Like (laughs) it's, it's, it's certainly a bit premature. I mean, especially when you
1: look at the fact that uh, amongst the seven most talented guys on their roster, based on their um, recruiting rating coming in, three are true freshmen this year: Michael Mayer, Jordan Johnson, and Chris Tyree. So you have to assume that you know (laughs) they're going to be really talented. And the point Ari Wasserman made is that they have a really highly touted quarterback coming in. Yeah. Um, Tyler Buckner or Butchner from California. Uh, a- and he can sort of do for them what Lawrence and Watson did for Clemson. Now, here's the difference. Tyler Buckner is the 65th best player in the country, not the single best player in the country like mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence was. Um, here's the other problem. The last time we all thought – Notre Dame had this level quarterback coming in, it was Phil Dracovic. Phil Dracovic is now at Boston College, where mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he, he was good, but not the best quarterback in the country. So, I, I'm just saying I don't think we can rely on that. Notre Dame's really good, but if you, you can make the same argument for Michigan. They have this kid, J.J. McCarthy coming mm-hmm. in, who's a five-star quarterback. Can't you argue that they're actually closer to... to a national title than Notre Dame is depending on which
0: quarterback you believe in. You can easily make, make the case that that Michigan is very close because they are a nine. And this year was weird, but they're like a nine or 10 win team. in in the big 10, almost every year they have a really good coach. They've had bad quarterback luck that guys get hurt. They don't play well, no continuity there. But what, what Notre Dame has has proved and the way that I'm more optimistic about them than Michigan, just a little bit, is because after twenty twelve, they took the embarrassment, they took the hurt, and they went to work. They revamped how they recruited, they revamped how they developed players, and it got them back to this stage. And now they see how much farther they have to go. Brian Kelly's just gonna say, look, we're not that far away. And I'm going to prove it to you guys. And when we get back here, we'll have better skill position players. It's quote unquote, bad luck that Michael Mayer, who might end up being the best tight end in the country and have a Kyle Pitts level uh, season where he'll be a top 10 pick because that dude is really, really good. He was a true freshman. They didn't maximize the skill position players that they had. And part of that is due to Ian book's weaknesses as a quarterback for as good as he is. He's not Mac Jones. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Justin Fields. He's, he is who he is. And they won a lot of games with him and they were clearly the fourth or fifth best team in in the country. So, so they lose 31 to 14. That's closer than Texas A&M was this year. People like all the people calling in for Kellen Mond, like Kellen Mond, (laughs) I don't think is better than Ian book. Like, uh, different, different, but the, the point of this is, while the Notre Dame narrative is that they're so, you know, they're quote unquote years away. It's because Alabama has completely modernized their and transformed their entire program. And I know I keep harping on this point, but would you have ever imagined at the beginning of Nick Staben taking back over Alabama and their dynasty in the early 2010s? that they would have three Heisman finalists on offense, setting scoring records, throwing the ball all, all over the field, outscoring teams, and that having their wide receivers basically single-handedly winning games, like the, like the credit should go to how Alabama has completely transformed their whole program.
1: 100%. But when mm-hmm. is it easy to transform your offense, Dave?
0: It's when when you can recruit that. That, yeah, that absolutely. way. And
1: it's a big problem that Notre Dame doesn't have a single top 50 player committed in the class of 2021.
0: You're right. It's it's a problem to really compete at that level. But I, they're going to make it back to the playoff, and they're going to keep making it back, and they're going to keep getting closer and closer, and eventually they will win one of these games. It's probably not going to happen next season, <laughs> but you're right. They four will. or five they years down the line,
1: because ultimately a game is played over four quarters. Yeah, but um, I'm just not sure that they can win two games in a row against this level of team.
0: It's it's interesting because the two the two teams that that they lost to in in the playoff when they've made it, Clemson in 2018, who won the national championship. And has the best quarterback of this generation in twenty-five years, and they lost to Alabama, who is incredible, just like clearly the best team in the country. Yep. And had three or four guys who could have won the Heisman this this year. And you still have Nick's. You still have Nick Saban, who is still the same standard bearer of. We're going to do all the same things that we did before. We're going to compete at the line of scrimmage. We're going to play really good defense. It's What you're saying is that because of what, of what Nick Saban was able to do in the early 2010s, in 2015, 2016, that he's now able to go out and recruit the best receivers, the best corners, the best linebackers. But he had to start somewhere where they didn't always have recruit you know, to be really in on the three or four best receivers. There was a time when Alabama wasn't getting those guys. Oh, absolutely. Notre Dame is there now. How do they how do they get into that conversation? I don't know, but they're going to they hire the best
1: coach in college football history. That worked.
0: That worked, but Alabama also hired a lot of guys to work on the offensive side of the ball. Lane Kiffin, right? As much as we like to make fun of Lane Kiffin, He's a fun coach to play for with the way it, with with the type of offense he has, and give Saban credit. Saban was like, "Okay, Lane, we're we're gonna try this out. We're gonna throw. We're gonna we're gonna modernize, and play twenty twenty football." And yeah, and absolutely. And so to be seen what Notre Dame does, but I would be if I was a Notre Dame fan, I would be optimistic after this game that because you're watching, saying, "Hey." We're not that far away. We just didn't have three of the five best players in college football this this year, but we're not that far away. We're not we're not as far away as we were in twenty twelve.
1: I would agree with that. I uh I, I I I I spoke too quickly. I don't agree with that. I think the gap's getting bigger, not smaller. I I think that. They got embarrassed less in the game against Alabama, but I, I I, do think they're
0: further away than they were at that point. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll be able to debate that. We'll be able to debate that for years to come because neither one of us thinks Notre Dame will be in the playoff next year. <laughs> be, you know, new, most likely a, a, a new quarterback and, and everything to be seen, right? They'll, they'll still be good, but... Probably not one of the th- How good. How three or four good. best teams in the country. That brings us to the national championship game. For all the marbles, right? It is this game. Where's this one? Miami, South Beach. Also, by the way, where all national championships or Super Bowls should be held, right? It's <laughs> Miami. The weather is great. It has all the hotels and nightlife and restaurants that can host a huge event like this in a normal year. Ohio State versus Alabama. This is a rematch of the 2015, what was it, semifinal game at the Cotton Bowl or the Sugar Bowl.
1: I believe that was the Sugar Bowl.
0: Yeah. That was still when Urban Meyer was coaching. So this is the first matchup between Ryan Day and Nick Saban. We're going to break this down. We're first going to talk about the coaches. Nick Saban and Ryan Day, the legend, the GOAT, the most successful college football coach ever versus the new cool kid on the block. This is very eerily similar to me of the Rams, Pat Super Bowl in 2018, where it was Bill Belichick versus Sean, Sean McVay.
1: Interesting. That's an interesting comparison. I think it's a good comparison.
0: And I know you're an Ohio state guy, but I don't want to rain on your, uh, Parade too much but I just want to remind you that this is Nick this is Nick Saban who the same guy who once won a national championship and was upset because it put him further back on the recruiting timeline. <laughs> so and I respected the heck out of it. So so this is this is the this is who you you guys are going up against. Yeah, and it's
1: not supposed to be easy it's no. not supposed to be easy uh Nick Saban is a legend like you said he is the standard and I think that's why in a lot of ways <clears throat> when Urban Meyer beat him in 2015 uh or, or I guess, was that New Year's Eve 2014 whatever it doesn't matter in, in those playoffs it felt monumental because Urban Meyer was I think in a lot of ways the closest thing to Nick Saban at that time obviously now Dabo is is the one giving him a run for his money. But I think Ryan Day in a lot of ways can cement his spot amongst the best coaches in the country, which I think is maybe just wet cement and not fully hardened cement at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty clear he's one of the best coaches in the country. Um, But I think this is potentially a statement for him, but it's also potentially a reminder from Nick Saban of like, ha ha ha, good try. Um,
0: Do we know... Do we know where Nick Saban had Ohio State on his coach's ballot? Uh
1: I didn't see I think he had them
0: fourth, maybe, okay. fourth or third. Fourth or third. Okay. Uh, but smart man. Smart man. Not, smart man. Not
1: 11, <laughs> but you know, the Saban family is providing some bulletin board material.
0: Yes. Please share.
1: Oh, man, I guess Nick Saban's daughter tweeted something and then immediately deleted it among uh, or about the along the idea of the COVID, the, the rumored COVID issues in Ohio State's program are fake. And Ohio State is putting out that false flag because Justin Fields does not recover from their injury and they're afraid to play Alabama Uh Without Justin Fields fully recovered, and they should just man up and play him with their backup.
0: Didn't work that well last time. It, oh, Alabama had to play Ohio State's backup quarterback. As Cardale Jones immediately tapped <laughs> back,
1: the last time we played you, I think it was our third string quarterback that, beat you.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, and he was correct. And you know, Ohio State had a big next man up moment that year, and and. It's a little bit different this year, right? Mm. Like C.J. Stroud is is the backup, but while he is a five-star recruit, he is a true freshman, so a little bit different. Um, But you know what? It looks like they're going to play on Monday. Um, And (laughs) Ohio State is just as good as it gets in terms of taking stuff that you should just laugh off and somehow turning it into insane motivation.
0: They are weirdly really, really good at that. Before we The number
1: get- of Ohio State players that tweeted after the Clemson game, you know, not a bad win for the 11th best team in the country, or yeah. turn it up to 11, or um, breaking news, number 11 Ohio State becomes lowest ranked team to ever win college football playoff games was <laughs> astounding, astounding.
0: They they find motivation wherever it is, and it and it definitely helps them. From a fan's perspective, okay. I I if if that's what it takes to get Ohio State fully healthy with COVID to push a game back a week, let's do it. Like the, the, I'm not sure there
1: is COVID. I, that rumor seems to be semi sketchy.
0: Okay. Well, if if it's COVID at Alabama or COVID at Ohio State, this entire season has been about maximizing television dollars I agree and the television me. product.
1: Move the game back. Move the game
0: back. So, so the most – like it's, as you said, the most important game of the season for the national uh viewership audience. You're not going to have the teams at full strength if you could – if you could do that, like they should have bubbled this and done it in wherever it is, Miami. Do a bubble for two weeks, make sure everyone was negative. Do the number of practices that that in prep that all the teams n- need to do, and then play the game. It's about maximizing the television product, and if and if that's what it would have take uh, taken to do that, ESPN would have signed up in a hearts in a heartbeat as as we talked about. You know why the, the game Ohio state Clemson was four hours? It's because every TV break they're doing like seven minutes of commercials and just <laughs> funding ESPN for the rest of the year. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, you know? and, you know, it's obviously something that can be done in the, in the way that they've suggested, actually now announced, that the entire men's basketball NCAA tournament, all 68 teams will be in Indiana for yeah. that come March slash April. So it's obviously... Very, very doable. And look, if they decide not to do that for whatever reason, and we'll see, it's more than likely that neither team will be at 100% full strength. Agreed. Agreed. Just given how contagious COVID is, but given going back to the, to the, to the coaches part of it is that Steve Sarkeesian was named the Texas head coach earlier this this week or this weekend the days all blend together and <laughs> and the last time that this happened it was Lane Kiffin who was named head coach of who's he named the the head coach of USC
1: was that no he left Tennessee for USC so he went from Alabama to FAU
0: FAU right the FAU right and Saban fired him 2 days before the national championship game I don't want to say that he's going to fire Steve Sarkeesian, but the rumor is is that he's going to be building his staff out with Alabama guys. I don't know how much Nick Saban likes that this week sure of all weeks.
1: I'm sure he doesn't like that. Part of me thinks that Nick Saban is just like, all right, let's just swap it out. Let's bring Tom Herman in as <laughs> our coordinator, put him the next guy in the line. Like, yeah. Heck, yeah. Butch Jones was an analyst for them and already got the Arkansas state job. Like, yeah. he, you know, obviously Steve Sarkisian has done an amazing job working with Alabama and, and doing some amazing things offensively. Um, and he's certainly got a foot out the door uh, trying to maintain Texas's recruiting class and talent base. Yeah, But at the same time, there are very few things you can do more effective in recruiting uh, in Steve Sarkeesian's spot right now than win a national championship because when ohio state did that in 2015 you know what tom herman did he immediately pulled out his university of houston hat yep. put it on and and you know immediately was able to tell university of houston recruits i know how to win a national championship yeah and it worked it worked um that's the best thing that could happen is to see to Steve Sarkeesian, So I think that as hard as he's working at Texas, he knows that he's got a week left at Alabama, and the best thing
0: he can do for his future is to win at Alabama. So I I
1: think he puts the nonsense out of the way and focuses on winning this game.
0: I completely agree with you, and I think that, speaking of focus as well, that this year, because of COVID, that experience will play a little less of a factor in terms of the preparation battle for the game because there is so much less quote-unquote nonsense that the teams and the players and the coaches have to deal with <coughs> in the in the week leading up to the game is that right. they, they have to go to way fewer events. All the media is via Zoom. Like, you know... They can do it in the facility. They don't have to go to and actually do radio row where it's time away from the facility in terms of prep. All, all that stuff. Practices are at their own facility. They're traveling to the site later than they normally do. Sleeping in their own bed. Meals at their facility. All the extra stuff that you naturally have to worry about about. Your guys in South Beach and the quote, and you know, the potential distractions of playing in the national championship game all gets way lessened by the pandemic forcing a lot of that stuff to be canceled or moved virtually. And so I think that helps Ohio State and Ryan Day. Not that Ryan Day can't handle it, but it's just like it's way less stuff that he has to do.
1: For sure, though at the same time it's canceled out by the Jacksonville Jaguar rumors that they're pursuing Ryan Day. I just think it's such a a circus. Regardless that, mm. um, I, I I just don't know how much of it. Yes, it helps. Unquestionably, it helps. I'm just not ready to say Ohio State is a step
0: ahead. It's it's prob- it's not a full step, but it's a quarter step. It's a Which, against Nick Saban, you take. 100%. And if they are a quarter step ahead in the coaching matchup, they are either even or very behind in the quarterback battle. Mac Jones versus Justin Fields. Mac Jones, I believe, came in third for the Heisman this year. Justin Fields will be more than likely a top three pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Justin Fields, while he dominated Clemson with six passing touchdowns, he got hurt on the targeting call that we talked about from James Skalski. He, got yeah, he hit. missed a whole play. He got he, he missed a whole play, but... But he
1: was clearly wincing
0: and grimacing he, in pain. He was hurt. They He said that they gave him two injections in the tent on the sideline, never really gave him a diagnosis. The clip of him trying to get onto the exercise bike went viral of how much clear discomfort he was in when he came back and he threw a touchdown pass and was limping off the field. They haven't said anything about his injury, but it's a fair question to ask is more likely than not, he won't be at 100% or whatever. 100% is for football players at at the end of the season. And just how does that affect him? Because when he has been hurt before, like against Northwestern this year with with his thumb, last year against Clemson with his knee. It's affected their whole offense. Yes,
1: it it did. It's impossible to know which version of Justin Fields we're going to see. Um, And if we don't get the good version of Justin Fields that we saw um, (laughs) against Clemson, or at least a a portion of that version, then Alabama's going to win comfortably. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. I, I think that just the quarterback is just far and away the most important position and the way Justin Fields has gone up and down makes Ohio state fans nervous. I think it's a bit, it's, a, it, it's impossible to deny.
0: Yeah. And, and that's why at his best, you could say, are you sure we, we should take Lawrence over him? And at his worst, you're, you're saying, are you sure well, he's a take- top 10 pick? Like, yeah. Um, yeah
1: like, we should take Panay Sewell, right? Like. Yeah.
0: And so it's, it's not Jekyll and Hyde in terms of one week he's incredible and one week he's not. For the most part, he's pretty consistently really good.
1: Amazing, yeah.
0: And so the difference is Alabama is going to score points in this game. And if Justin Fields can't move around as much or – he can't throw at the same zip or whatever it is. It limits all the creativity that Ryan day gets praised so much for, because as you said, all that creativity runs through Justin Fields.
1: And I think that you can look at positional comparisons Mm -hmm. and obviously Alabama is going to win the receiver comparison, especially now with the, Seeming confirmation that Jalen Waddle is going to play in this game.
0: Yeah, so he uh, fractured his ankle. Just just for the listeners, he fractured his ankle on the first snap against Tennessee in mid-October. People said he was out for the season. He's been practicing this week, and Jalen Waddle was their number one receiver coming back and was likely going to be a Heisman finalist if he stayed healthy and be, due to his absence devonte smith or, or devonte smith has completely dominated college football and having them both the hack potentially is is worrying if you're an ohio state fan.
1: very much so. I mean it's you already have your hand, hands full with <laughs> three heisman finalists. Now you talk about the guy who was expected to be even better than them. Yeah let alone John Mechie and, and plenty of the other weapons they have. But my point was going to be that in a head-to-head comparison, Alabama wins the receiver battle, but don't forget Ohio State's receivers are pretty darn good too. I mean, for sure. Lave and Garrett Wilson are both probably going to be first round picks. Um, you know, Najee Harris obviously was the Heisman finalist, but Trey Sermon has played better than anyone the last two weeks of the season. I, I think that, um, My point is that they can survive Justin Fields not being 100% of what he was against Clemson because of those weapons. They can't survive Justin Fields being 50, 60, even 70% of what he was against Clemson, um, which is how he played against Northwestern, to be honest.
0: And the concern for Alabama is that Mac Jones is having this magical season and he hasn't really had a bad game and that this is going to be finally the moment where he comes back a little bit to earth and that he's not so dominant, but he just is fine, right? Like that's the concern of your Alabama is that because he loves the deep ball so much, and even though OSU's secondary is their weakness, On the defense side of the ball The more you chuck that thing deep As good as Devontae Smith is and as good as Jalen Waddell is There runs the risk of interceptions And so will this Be the game where it catches Up all the deep balls right you know So that would be It's not a huge Concern for Alabama but if I was An Alabama fan I'd be like He's due for a Good game Not a great game that he usually has, but a good game.
1: Sure. I think that's a valid point. I I think the concern... Yeah, I I mean, is Mac Jones going to ever come back to Earth? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this game is very much going to be a shootout. So... Yeah. to me Mac Jones coming back down to earth is maybe having four touchdowns in a pick instead of six touchdowns
0: and a <laughs> no picks.
1: right and, and,
0: yeah and, but but that could be
1: enough that, you know that could be enough to be the difference in the game against a team as talented as Ohio State. just like you know if Justin Fields who had six touchdowns and one interception against Clemson, instead goes you know four touchdowns, one interception or four touchdowns, two interception, like that could be enough for Alabama to win the game. Um, I really think the margins are quite thin when you're talking about two teams this talented.
0: It's really, really thin. It's really close between these two. And like every football game, the line of scrimmage is going to be so important. Can this Ohio State front seven contain Najee Harris? They did it for Travis Etienne, partially because the score got out of hand and clubs had to change the way that they played, but also because but they did it
1: last year as well. They yeah. did it last year no, as no, well.
0: No, no, no. I I was gonna say and part oh, of the reason why I'm the sorry. score I, I jumped the gun I, I, I to say part of the reason why the score that got that way was because they contained Travis Etienne. And if they can do that to Najee Harrison, look, he's gonna get yards, he's gonna break a play, he's just that good if the if you can keep him to under 105 110 total yards that i think would be a good sign for ohio state because he's going to yeah. get his
1: it's about limiting big plays right if you can limit the 20 plus yard runs you know the 20 25 plus yard passing plays where he leaps
0: over someone <laughs> <exactly. laughs> that's when I think you talk about, okay, we're, we're okay with
1: that. Um, It's about the big chunk yardage that really, really hurts you. Um, And I think that's where Ohio state was amazing last year. And Mm -hmm. has been just okay this year, Um, especially in the games like Indiana, where they let what are very good teams compete with them, but not teams that are at the talent level of Alabama, frankly.
0: And on the flip side, it's Alabama's front seven and their young but really talented defensive line. Can they bring Trey Sermon back to human numbers instead of Madden numbers? Where he's, <laughs> if he gets the ball 30 times, it's 106 yards instead of 195 or 220 yards? Because Trey Sermon is running with a purpose and It sounds corny to say and kind of stupid to say, like, yes, running backs run hard, but he runs really hard. Like, he's a hard guy to tackle if he gets ahead of steam. And He's elusive. He's elusive. He's quick. He's he's proven to be everything he was built to be at the beginning of his Alabama career when he and Baker Mayfield were in the
1: backfield together and just never quite materialized over the past couple of years when injuries and some other, you know, some other young guys uh end up keeping him from getting the carries that, that he could have potentially gotten.
0: And so whether or not Master Teague returns in this game, Trey Sermon's gonna play a major, major role. He's the hot hand in the backfield. Absolutely. And, and it will be it will be a real test to see because if Justin Fields is closer to 70% than 95%. It's going to be all the more important for Ohio State to get Trey Sermon going and all the more important for Alabama to stop Trey Sermon.
1: Agreed. If 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 Trey Sermon doesn't have the best game in his history, which
0: by the way would require him to have some like 332 yards or more, yeah, to um, to break the all-time record. Again, at Ohio State? Then there's just... I I just don't see any way Ohio State wins with a 70% Justin Fields. The other key is with Fields and his injury, that is unknown, that they're not disclosing it, is pass protection. Ohio State has a very good offensive line, and it will be all the more important that pass protection is key because the fewer hits Fields takes the fewer chances that he reaggravates or worsens the injury that he will be bringing into the game.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the really interesting and potentially telling things that gave me confidence was even after fields came back in the game, it felt like Ohio state and Ryan day were confident enough to call plays that required deep shots down the field and longer developing routes.
0: Yeah. Um, which indicates to me
1: that they weren't particularly worried about only letting him throw, you know, five yard outs because mm-hmm. he had to immediately get the ball out of his hand. So that does give me a little bit of confidence, especially because, um, you know, I mean, some of the throws he had down the field to Olave, the one he had that I think was like 62 yards in the air to Jameson Williams was just absolutely remarkable. And if Ohio they can push the ball down the field and really stretch the secondary, then all of a sudden, you have the tight ends that you mentioned. You have you know, the underneath stuff um, that had been working all year. You have the ability to get Trey Sermon a little bit looser. Um, so if Justin Fields and the offensive line don't have time to get the ball down the field, um, whether it's because they're not holding up in pass protection, whether they're worried about Fields getting hit again in the ribs, whatever it is, it just limits everything they do and, and, and just lowers their ceiling.
0: It's, it feels, it's, it's, it's like stupid. It feels stupid to say like pass protection will be really important because it's important (laughs) in every game. But like, look, there are certain truths in, in football games, which is that it all matters. Like Alabama's off the line will really matter too, because Mac Jones loves throwing the deep ball. You want to know how he gets the, the ability to, to do that. Because the offensive line gives him enough time to set his feet and Devontae Smith and all these guys to be able to get down the field. And so on the flip side for Ohio State for these terms of skill positions is who steps up, right? In these big games, guys always, always step up. It was the tight ends last game, I think, who really stepped up against Clemson. I think this will be a Julian Fleming game where where maybe he's jumps onto the map the way that T Higgins and Justin Ross did for Clemson in the 20 what was it 2018 national title.
1: Interesting, I like that prediction. I think there's a chance um you know that would obviously be great, but I think this game is going to be won or lost in the air through Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, the guys that got there. Interesting. Interesting. And I know that's a safe bet, but it just feels like you gotta stick with what got you there.
0: I completely agree. I think Olave has he has a chance to make a lot of money in this game in terms of if he has a dominant performance against Patrick Sertain, who's Alabama's top corner, likely top fifteen pick. If he if he not not saying he played as well as Jamar Chase did last year in the national championship game. Where Jamar Chase like three or four touchdowns and just toasted yeah, okay. <laughs> first round pick AJ Terrell for for Clemson, but if Chris Olave can prove that he can get open against the best corner, pr- probably the best corner in college football, he'll just keep climbing up. He'll just keep climbing up draft boards, and he Absolutely. has a chance to make a lot of money in this game. So that's a really good uh, point that that you made. On the flip side. This is going to be a dumb question. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but do you guys have someone who can tackle Devontae Smith? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: my feelings are not hurt because I'm not sure there's any team in the country that does. And right. I think that, you know, we talked a little bit about that deep safety position that Ohio State likes to play with, mm-hmm. um, and how they had some issues without Justin, uh, without Jordan Fuller back there. And I think that's a huge concern. I think that we're gonna see a lot of softer coverage, maybe some zone wrinkles um, to try to contain the big plague. And, and but these unproven safeties and, and defensive backs next to Sean Wade are gonna have to, you know, really show discipline that we haven't seen all year uh, in order to best limit Alabama's weapons, including the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith.
0: It's... It'll be interesting to see if they... Because he's going to get the ball. There, There's... The way the college football is played now, you can't do a Darrell Revis type one one-on-one, shut-down, double team and prevent him from getting the ball. No. He's going to get a screen pass. They're going to run screens for him. Quick slants. Devontae Smith is going to touch the football in this game. And more likely than not, He's going to touch the ball more than five or six times.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's exactly what you said, which is this soft coverage to keep everything in front and trust your open field tackles and say to the Heisman trophy winner, break every tackle, right? Beat us all down the field. Because if he does that again, he may be a top five pick. He may be picked over Jamar chase and go into the top four because he will prove to be truly, truly extraordinary if he outruns everyone on Ohio State the way he did against Notre Dame in the entire SEC regular season. But it's you can't let him get behind the defense because then it's just easy pitch and catch money for Mac Jones and Devontae Smith. Right. It's yeah, absolutely. It's limiting the big game breaking plays. Easier said than done, though one (laughs) hundred percent special teams we have to mention special teams special teams is always important you can't lose points and you can't lose field position and it's
1: a concern for ohio state because their kicker um had some kickoff issues um had a groin issue earlier in the year um Ohio State had their backup kicker, Dom DiMaggio, mm-hmm. out there uh, at points in the game, though I believe Blake Haubel did kick all seven extra points in the game. Um, so we'll obviously have to check on his health. Uh, Drew Chrisman, the punter for Ohio State, is someone who is, is, you know, one of the best in the country. So when it comes to flipping field position, Ohio State should feel great about that. But Alabama is also consistently amongst the best special teams Um Teams in the country
0: because that's Nick Saban emphasizes, right? Like there are no little things. Every big thing, every little thing matters. Every little
1: thing is a big thing. You know, whatever the right way to phrase that is, that's how special teams are treated. Um, And and their return game is explosive. Devontae Smith, I believe, had a return touchdown this year at some point. Um, You know, their coverage teams are excellent. They tackle well. Everything Alabama does is solid, if not
0: spectacular. It will also be field position will be so important cuz these offenses are so good that being able to start at your 35 or 40 yard line compared to your 18 or 22 will be right, even yardage. Will be even more important. When we hear talk about special teams, it's not just like making your field goals or making your you know, not shanking a punt for 8 yards, right? It's <laughs> it is also No block in the backs, no holdings that bring back great returns back to um, back 20 yards. You know, those types of plays will also be so, so important. But, like, no one talks about this. Like, no one's going to say on college game day, well, what's going to be the biggest factor today? Well, it's going to be the team that doesn't have a block in the back uh, penalty on a punt return, right? Because that's just like, it's kind of like, it's not obvious, but it's not sexy or fun to talk about. And so it's going to be really, really interesting, as you said, because both these teams are good on special teams, and all those things really, really matter. Predictions.
1: Yeah, prediction. Um, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be tough. I have um, Ohio State
0: 45, uh, Alabama 42. Wow. So – I have it as the same way I had Clemson versus Ohio State last week. I think these two teams are really close, really evenly matched, explosive offenses, very good defenses, great coaches. This is going to be a last possession game again. This is going to be a who gets the ball last if it's Mac Jones Alabama's gonna win the national title again. If Justin Fields gets the ball last, Ryan Day will have his first national title, and Justin Fields will be a national champion going to the NFL. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be nip and tuck. It's gonna be four plus hours of football and commercials. So just be ready for it. <laughs> and it's it's gonna be. This is if we, we talked about this months ago right the whole goal of this season was to have at least Alabama Clemson and Ohio State in the playoff to have a national champion and they got that and for everything that went to the season it will be dissected and talked about of was it worth it they achieved their goal of the casual playoff committee and the conference achieved their goal of we got the national championship game that we would have predicted most a lot of us before the season started and that didn't change it was a winding crazy path to get here but if if you're these are two of the three best teams in the country before the season proved during the season and now they have a chance to prove who is the best and so I'm I'm happy that uh that you are so invested in Ohio State because it makes these conversations so much more fun that if I say anything, you'll throw in some like Ohio State's reference joke because you're so invested <laughs> in it. It just makes it so much fun. I'm really happy that we've gotten a chance to do these preview podcasts. As much as I think Alabama is going to win, I'm rooting for the Buckeyes for you for Jordan Sears, and uh, it's going to be a great game. And in the event that w- when I post this podcast and if the game gets postponed, a lot of the stuff still applies, except for hoping that everyone recovers from COVID and Jalen Wilders gets another <laughs> week to get healthy.
1: Oh jeez, yeah, yeah.
0: Most importantly before we spend six and a half minutes tops on the coaching carousel is what's on the menu. Have you planned out the menu? Are you superstitious going with the same menu as the semifinal game?
1: You know, I, I haven't thought about it a ton yet. Um, I actually pivoted uh, during the the semifinal game and we went with um, like a really nice like taco beef and bean dip Um, with some Tostitos and then we went with um, some pizza rolls and some other different like appetizer stuff, we went more appetizer than main course Um, you know it proved to be a recipe for success uh, so I'm definitely not opposed to going back to that but you know what, maybe I'm feeling wings, maybe I'm feeling barbecue I think um, satiating myself is a little more important at this point Um, I am quite superstitious, but I'm not sure the food is going to play into it. Um, Potentially the shirt, you know, that sort of stuff where I sit on the couch. But but I I, I don't let the food come into it. We want to go fresh every time.
0: I totally agree. And the fun part is, even though I've mentioned multiple times my chagrin about how long that these games last, it allows for a lot of eating which isn't the worst Multiple thing in the world. Courses.
1: Multiple courses.
0: Exactly. So, all right, I'm going st- to start the clock. Six and a half minutes, coach's carousel. Let's dive more deeply a little bit on the Steve Sarkeesian hire at Texas. They fired Tom Herman after four seasons. Even though Tom Herman was recruiting and, as you said, put together a top five class talent-wise per uh, 24-7 sports, he didn't help those guys get better, and he didn't win enough games. That's what it came down to
1: no he didn't and uh, they had some crazy record um where as an underdog versus um versus as a favorite um they were way better as an underdog and that's sort of the reputation he built at houston and it continued at texas but at texas you have to be able to win as a favorite and as a big favorite and um ultimately he didn't win a big 12 championship which hurts um he, you know, it felt like it. Sam Ellinger getting on stage after beating a Georgia team that just very much didn't care about that bowl game.
0: We're back. back! Yep, exactly. <laughs> Declaring
1: that Texas is back very much feels like um, when it all started to go downhill for Tom Herman at Texas, though you could also argue it was when they lost to Maryland. Um,
0: look, look, I am, there are certain things about college football that, that I love, one of those things is the jokes, <laughs> and my, one of my favorite things is this Texas is back, Texas is not back joke, <laughs> where Texas signs five star recruit, they're back. Quinn Quinn Uh Uers decommits from uh, from Texas, goes to Ohio State. Texas not back. Texas beats you know a big game. They're back. They lose to Oklahoma in triple overtime. Not back. It's it's hysterical. And, and I am here for it. I am ready for every moment of Steve Sarkeesian of they're back. They're not back. Are they actually back? Well, are they back but playoff back? You know, <laughs> it's great. The two keys is can he recruit at an elite level and keep some of the best players in Texas home in Texas? The problem is and I get into this habit a lot too, which is saying Texas needs to keep guys from Texas home or USC needs to keep the sub needs to keep guys home in, in California. Those states, sometimes I need to remind myself is are humongous. They are huge and that they produce so many good players that you don't have enough scholarships in each recruiting class to just recruit only from those places. Like Texas could give 25 scholarships to the 25 best players at Texas. Well, Texas A&M will get the next 25 and still be really 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 good. <laughs> and, and so the key is the difference is not just recruiting at an elite level of getting guys to commit, but being in the process. If you lose a couple guys to LSU and Georgia and Bama or whoever, fine. That's going to happen. And it will continue to happen. But it's that you can't not be in these guys' final fives. You can't feel like you don't have a real shot. That's that's the difference. Yeah, I think that's
1: part of it, but it's also um, a matter of who's coming into uh,
0: for sure. The state and taking those guys for right? sure. And I think that
1: you know, it certainly doesn't help that they only have the number seventeen. Class in the country in 2021, but I think it's the way, Al- uh, excuse me, Alabama came in and just took the Brockenmeyer twins.
0: Yeah, that was bad. Um,
1: it's the way Ohio State came in and took, you know, Quinn Ewers and Caleb Burton, and before that, you know, many years ago, J.K. Dobbins and Garrett Wilson in between. I think that's part of what it is. And there was an interesting article on the Athletic. Um, that talked about how there were plenty of other issues, including uh, how Herman uh, handled the controversy surrounding the eyes of Texas and the the racist backstory of that and whether he would make his players stay for the the song and all that. Um, But ultimately what it came down to is he just didn't win enough big games.
0: It's funny. As much as we talk about recruiting and competing and all this stuff, winning matters winning still really really matters and for
1: especially for a coach and his job security
0: and and also it's it's pivoting too because we're talking about michigan now as well they've announced their extension for jim harbaugh or they're expected to it's like one of the things where it's like wink wink nudge nudge he's going to get this extension but we haven't signed the paperwork because he's on vacation um he's harbaugh's gonna be around for a while the difference the the issue that michigan and texas have which is the expectation that their program has that the boosters have that the athletic director is that they should be in the playoff or just outside the playoff every year right and absolutely
1: they should be competing to win. they should be in the big 10 championship you know every year or other year
0: and so they both these programs haven't been there michigan was a controversial spot placement away from probably making the playoff a few years ago Agreed. And so they they seemed really far away this past year, but Harbaugh's gonna keep recruiting well. He's gonna keep doing the crazy Jim Harbaugh <laughs> recruiting things that it also is one of my favorite parts of Fallen College football. It's just how funny it is. Amazing. But so it's it's that can can Steve Sarkeesian, while he builds up the roster. Can he afford to go eight and five or eight and four and then nine and three without like the world falling around him? And the same for Harbaugh. He's going to sign this extension. It's going to create a lot more pressure and a lot more expectation of, well, you signed a big, expensive extension. We have to start winning. And if Michigan again goes 10 and two, but they lose to Ohio State, even if they lose to Ohio State on a miracle, Hail Mary, the most, uh, Unbelievable win for Ohio State ever. The people be like, Michigan should fire Jim Harbaugh. No, like 10-win programs and 10-win seasons are really, really hard to come by. And yes, you have to be able to get over the top, but can these two schools adjust their expectations just enough that while they're building and catching up to the rest of the elites, they're not flipping out because they had a 9- or 10-win season? Go the Notre Dame model. Realize it's going to take a bunch of years. But don't freak out because Brian Kelly went seven and five, and you're going to fire him.
1: I'm not sure that's what they want, though. Like, I think the expectation for Steve Sarkeesian is to come in and reflip Quinn Ewers in the class of 2022. And um, I I don't know. Like, Herman was a lot hotter of a coaching candidate than Sarkeesian was now. Not to say Sarkeesian's not like a a well-regarded guy, but you know, there was a bidding war with LSU for Herman. Uh, I, I yeah. think that the expectation is Sarkeesian wins and wins right away. I don't know if he's expected to make the playoffs in year one, but um, I ex- think he's expected to,
0: to come close in, in the first year or two. Interesting. And I, I,
1: I think flipping over to the Michigan side of things, I, I think I would put a lot of money that Harbaugh is not there through the end of 2026.
0: That. That may be true because I think that – that I think it's because it's the NFL is calling. Absolutely. Or or USC, which is the other school I want to touch on slightly because, as you you pointed out, which I didn't know, USC had a very weak recruiting class based on all the rankings nationally last season. Clay Uh, Helton – Clay uh, Helton uh, scorching hot seat. Well, he responded by going 5-1, and one, losing in the Pac-12 championship in this crazy year, signs the top player in the country on 24-7 Sports Composite, who is from Southern California, signing a top-10 class. His seat, warm, not scorching hot, but now it's, as, w- as we're talking about, is can he keep winning? Because recruiting is really, really important, but now you have to start winning and. Now that Texas, Michigan, Auburn are seemingly resolved for the next couple seasons, USC is going to be this job that everyone's going to be like, instead of talking about, like, should Michigan move on from Harbaugh and all these talks on first take and all these shows, it's going to be Clay Helton and USC.
1: Yes and no. I I wouldn't be shocked if it. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. I'm just saying I don't think um, the should Harbaugh move on or should Michigan move on from Harbaugh talks are necessarily over. I think they're paused.
0: <laughs> Interesting. But,
1: um, I'm not sure they're over, but I agree with you. I think USC is the next one that it's sort of like, okay, good job, Clay Helton. You got the number eight class in the country. Um, you had a, a, a pretty good year. Um, you definitely bought yourself some time, and by that I mean one more offseason mm-hmm. to then see what you do next year. So um, I, I agree with you. I think USC is the hot job that that people are gonna be talking about, but I think it's also a matter of what candidates are available.
0: 100 percent. And it's what candidates are available, which candidate which schools are available at that uh certain it's, yep, time. Good point. Good it's, point. You know, timing is everything and 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 we'll see. The last thing too is the NFL is calling naturally. Urban Myers rumored for Jacksonville teams have reportedly asked Northwestern for permission to interview Pat Fitzgerald interviewed or asking for permission r- rumor to, for PJ Fleck from Minnesota. Those are three more guys to keep an eye on and maybe coaching your favorite NFL team soon.
1: I think it's interesting. I don't see urban Meyer taking an
0: NFL job. He's, I don't either he roundly denied it. Um, I do think Pat Fitzgerald would leave for the Bears. That seems yeah. to be the Bears. That's that's the job he would leave for. Yeah,
1: PJ Fleck's an interesting name. I think PJ Fleck does an amazing job of building culture.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: think building culture is very different in the NFL versus in the NCAA, um, where culture is typically built around. Uh, in the NFL, this is you know this sort of mutual respect and understanding of like we're here to collect a paycheck whereas in college it's a little bit different Mm -hmm. um so i i just wonder if pj fleck is not better suited for college
0: it's it's interesting because fleck and fitzgerald more so than meyer mainly because when meyer was dominant florida i was too young to really see like the totality what he was done it's all in you know reading about from from the past Fleck and especially Fitzgerald seem like corporate leaders. They seem like a guy who could run a company. And these big teams these teams are huge companies. And the one thing that I will say is the last two jobs Urban Meyer has had at Florida and Ohio State, he is at a talent advantage over a lot of the teams that he plays and a lot of teams in college football. The difference in talent from NFL team to NFL team, so Often is so minuscule, and the parity in that league is just incredible. That Fleck and Fitzgerald are used to not having the most talented roster. They are used to getting the best out of everyone, and the culture and all that stuff that makes that difference when you don't have an overwhelmingly dominant team. That they would be higher on my list than Urban Meyer for just the pure leadership, culture, football stuff. And besides the fact that when Meyer was at Florida, like 30 guys got arrested, which <laughs> which is a bad sign. I just want to say. Fair enough. Is a Fair huge, enough. is him and off the field conduct by his players and his coaches staffs is a huge red mark on Urban Meyer's legacy as a college football coach.
1: Yes, though it was better at Ohio State with obviously the exception of everything that happened with Zach Smith.
0: Which, which is what led to him, quote unquote, resigning, which was basically just like getting fired yeah
1: sort of yeah uh, let's talk about something else because that that i No, in all seriousness though um i actually think ryan day is the best candidate out of all those coaches him
0: him him and lincoln riley have blank oh, well, check lincoln, riley oh my right. gosh i
1: would love for the jets to go get lincoln riley
0: those two guys those two guys basically have blank checks to choose their, the job that they want in the NFL. I think they're just waiting for the right one to open up. Agreed. Agreed. But, uh, it's interesting because the college game and the pro game is very different. And we've seen in basketball, football, the success rate of former college coaches to pro coaches and pro coaches to the college game, it varies a lot. So it's always kind of fun Seeing because every year there's the rumors of, you know, someone will leak something to a rumor like, hey, we're really interested in Nick Saban. And Nick Saban has to respond to the rumor like, no, I don't want to go to the NFL. And it's it's really interesting to see Matt Rule had success this year in Carolina. Um,
1: Great culture
0: builder. And so we'll see if then on the flip side, Chip Kelly didn't really succeed in in um in Philly or San Francisco. Jim Harbaugh was great at Stanford, really successful for the 49ers his first 3 or 4 years there. Then they, you know, collapsed and has been good at Michigan. Don't want to say great, but he's been good. And it's just it's interesting to see that cuz guys are going to keep getting hired from college to go to the pros or at least rumored it's always interesting because it's so different. We don't think it's that different because it's still football, but it's so different.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. That's a very valid point,
0: David. So so wrapping up here, we will be back next week to break down the entire events of the national championship, or we will preview it all over again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Sass. Always a pleasure having you on. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your Wednesday. And uh, I'm hoping that you're able to sleep this week and just uh, enjoy everything about your team being in the national championship game. Thank you,
1: David. It's uh, It feels, well, I'm going to say I'm partying like it's 2003 and 2015. <laughs> we don't talk about what happened in 06 and 07. No. <laughs> but seriously, it's always great being here. I appreciate you having me and. Love talking sports with you.
0: That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also, follow us on Twitter at dbl underscore dbl podcast. We'll be back next week. Take care and make it a great day.